What's up everybody, Genix Divinet Investor here. In this video I'm going to tell you about what I've seen people do that ultimately made them fail as dividend investors in hopes that you can leverage their experiences to better enable your own success. Fails can range from being a minor financial mistake all the way to quitting investing. I've personally learned more from my failures than from my successes, so as long as you learn something and don't give up, then failures can bring you value. Speaking of failures, there are only three ways you can fail right now, and that's if you don't subscribe, click on that thumbs up icon, and click the bell notification. And as always, don't take any of this as financial advice that you act on. Now, some of the reasons why dividend investors fail is also applicable to non-stock investors, so I'll share those reasons as well. I opened this video with a quote from Napoleon, though what he actually said was, the reason most people fail instead of succeed is they trade what they want most for what they want at the moment. That quote embodies the number one reason why dividend investors fail, which is because they don't remain fully committed to their goal of growing their dividend snowball over decades. Maybe they feel a snowball takes too long to build, so instead they switch gears and put their money towards get-rich-quick things, which ironically usually becomes get-poor-quick. People start with dividend investing because it sounds amazing to have passive income flow in, but then somewhere along the way they start wasting their money on crap they don't need because climbing that dividend mountain seems too slow and too hard. It's actually how people fail at many things at life, which is because they don't remain fully committed to achieving their long-term goal, and instead let their laziness of a moment, the bad decision-making of the now, overtake what they know they should be doing. It's easier to watch Netflix than to get on your workout gear and hit the gym. It's easier to play World of Warcraft than it is to practice on the piano. It's easier to waste money on that cool new big screen TV than it is to invest intelligently. Some investors decide that the dividend snowball takes too long to get going, so they give up or don't even start. The need for immediate gratification prevails over the delayed gratification of a massive dividend snowball. They decide they need faster gains in the market because they hear stories about people who made a killing on some meme stock or a penny stock. The people who look at stocks like lottery tickets are the ones which are heading down a path of failure. Those same people tend to go after needlessly riskier assets. Stocks aren't your mechanism to get rich quick. Treat stocks like the company they represent. Companies that should be making awesome products and are offering compelling services. And if you find yourself just focusing on the huge upside potential, rather than also acknowledging the real downside potential, then you might be failing. All the time I get comments about how dividend investing is too slow. Those same people who want to get rich quickly desperately want to walk away from a job they don't like, from a disrespectful boss, from a toxic work culture. The sad part is that dividend investing is a long-term solution to achieve their goal of having enough passive income coming in so they no longer need to work for someone else. No, it's not overnight, but yes, you can do it, but you need patience. Many dividend investors fail because they don't practice the patience it takes to succeed. They're too impatient for the dividend snowball to get going on its own. They're too impatient for those dividend hikes to do their magic. Some are too impatient with dividend stocks that aren't making massive gains every month. They feel that the dividend path is just too long and too hard. But long and hard is the best thing for everybody. So yeah, you start out slow at first, but then you go faster and faster, and when you finally make it, the feeling is amazing. But no, people get off and take a left turn at Albuquerque and hit the casinos and bet it all on black. Okay, that's enough subtext and innuendo. It really is an amazing feeling when you're finally living on your dividends. I get a lot of comfort feeling that my dividend snowball is like a machine which will live beyond me, and while I love being alive and don't want to die, it brings me great solace knowing that my machine will keep delivering for my family and for my future generations long after I'm gone. I've literally planted the seed in what I believe will become a tree of eternal income. I was thinking the other day that I know my grandparents' names, but I don't know my great-grandparents. One of my goals is to create an enduring financial legacy such that a hundred years from now a future descendant of mine will be told a story of how some of their family's wealth was started by a crazy guy who loved dividend investing. 
Maybe that's unrealistic to think that could happen, and if you're the type of person who, on a daily basis, asks questions like, do you think so-and-so stock will double before the end of the year? Then I fear your unrealistic expectations may kill your desire to invest. That same type of person often freaks out when we have a few red days. Those people haven't come to terms with the reality that the market goes up and down every day, and that going down a percent or whatever doesn't mean the game over. In the last 50 years, the market ends green only about 54% of the time, which means 46% of the time it closes red. That might not sound very good, but think of a casino who usually only has slightly better than 50-50 odds to win. But over time, casinos make tons of profit. Now to be clear, investing isn't gambling if you're doing your research. It is a lot like gambling if you just blindly invest without doing your homework. The market isn't about luck. You'll find that company stock prices tend to trend with their financial results. Sometimes they don't, but over time they tend to revert back to the mean of their financial trends. I.e. as revenue and earnings and such trend up, so does the price tend to trend up. Of course, just because historically the market has trended up doesn't mean it will in the future, but I feel you can help your chances of success by investing in great growing companies. And please don't think that you gotta make money fast in the markets, which is a mindset that many newer investors have. They feel like they gotta beat the market. That they need 10 baggers. They compare themselves to others and when they aren't getting massive returns quickly, they quit. Some people overestimate their abilities and are so confident in themselves that they take bigger risks than they should and get burned. Or they start supremely confident and then when they do poorly, they give up on investing. Another fail that I see with dividend investors is the mistaken thinking that if your company was once great, then you don't need to continue to stay close to it to ensure it remains great. But there are lots of cases of companies that lose their luster over time. Take a look at GE's dividend history to see what I mean, or look at their revenue trend. My point? Don't be overconfident in your businesses. Sure, odds are they'll do fine, but every so often a company can lose its relevance and not evolve, so I found it better to keep researching your companies as time goes on. People who are overconfident in themselves in the market often make the mistake of investing more than they can afford to lose. Remember, stocks don't always go up. They can go all the way to zero. Now, the opposite of those types of people are those that underestimate their abilities. They second-guess themselves. They have analysis paralysis. Some think they can never get rich. They don't start investing because they don't have enough confidence in themselves, or they start and they stop after a bit of poor performance. Or they don't invest because they don't think they have enough money to start. But a dollar invested is more than zero invested. To win in the markets, you gotta keep investing. What I've seen with dividend investing is that people get into it excited for the potential, but they overestimate where they'll be in a few months and underestimate where they could be in a few decades. And that misaligned estimation often leads to quitting. The dividend investors who succeed usually have goals that keep them motivated and on track. Portfolio goals, number of shares goals, passive income goals. Investors who don't have north stars in what they're doing, why they're doing it, where they're trying to get to, etc., eventually seem to peter out. Of course, you need to make sure you don't make a bad decision to merely hit a short-term goal. Anyways, another reason that dividend investors fail is because they don't understand some of the basics on how to evaluate dividend companies. In an attempt to help those people, I did a video called How to Analyze a Dividend Stock in 60 Seconds. This week I got a comment from someone who was telling me about this great dividend stock of theirs. I had never heard of it, which was my first red flag, and then when I looked it up on Seeking Alpha I saw that the company had a 10 year stretch where it didn't increase their dividend, and they had zero consecutive years of dividend growth. I then looked up its total returns over the last 10 years and found that it had made less than half the return of the S&P 500. That doesn't mean it was a bad investment for that guy telling me about his awesome dividend stock, as maybe he got in super low, or maybe it was part of an RSU grant or something, who knows. But man, for me that wouldn't be what I'd call a great dividend stock. And that reminds me of a comment I recently heard, which was, OMG, look at that REIT's 95% payout ratio, it's gonna go under. 
Unfortunately, that person probably didn't understand how to evaluate REITs. For reference, a payout ratio is a financial metric used to help determine the sustainability of a company's dividend payment. REIT stands for Real Estate Investment Trust, which is often a company that owns, and in most cases operates, income-producing real estate. So equity REITs are companies that own strip malls filled with various stores like 7-Elevens and Walgreens and whatever, and or they could own office buildings or warehouses or hotels or hospitals or etc. There are other types of REITs like mortgage REITs, aka M REITs, which invest in mortgages or mortgage securities of commercial and or residential properties, and there are hybrid REITs. Anyways, REITs are required by law to distribute at least 90% of their taxable income in the form of dividends, so REITs with a payout ratio of more than 90% are normal, whereas with non-REIT businesses you usually want to see payout ratios under 70%-ish. Now let's look at non-REIT payout ratios versus REIT payout ratios, as the math and the formulas will bring clarity to things. The payout ratio you should use for non-REITs is total dividends paid out during a time period, like a year, divided by net income made during that time period. So if a company paid out $20 million in dividends and it had a net income of $40 million, then the payout ratio would be 20 divided by 40, which is 50%. You can also calculate payout ratio by taking the dividends per share and then dividing that by earnings per share. Okay, now that we understand the normal payout ratio formulas, let's look at why a different formula makes more sense when evaluating REITs. Equity REITs keep most of their assets invested in real estate. They're basically landlords who receive lots of cash flow from rent-paying tenants. So U.S. tax laws allow you to depreciate real estate in various ways. Depreciation is a non-cash expense that reduces the property's taxable income but doesn't reduce its cash flow. So as an example, a REIT might have collected $1 million in gross rents from one of their properties and have had $300K in operating expenses along with a depreciation expense of $800K. That's $1 million rent minus $300K expenses minus $800K depreciation equals minus $100K even though the property is positive $700K in cash flow. Or to say that differently, that means that even though the property might be increasing in value every year, as many properties do, and even though its cash flow is positive, its actual financials could show that the net income from it is effectively dropping. And if we assume the number on top of the payout ratio formula stays the same, aka the dividends paid out, but the bottom net income number is going down, then the payout ratio goes up. So due to rules of gap accounting and tax laws and such, REITs tend to have more cash flowing around than you could infer by looking at their net income. In fact, they may even have more dividends paid out as distributions than their reportable net income, meaning their payout ratio is over 100%, even though it's actually not losing money. What all that means is that if you're going to invest in REITs, then you should understand the differences between net income and cash flow and such, and instead of just using net income, you should look at what's called adjusted funds from operations, aka AFFO, as it more accurately estimates the REIT's present values and the ability to pay dividends. If you want to learn more about how I like to analyze REITs, then I recommend you watch my video called Dividend Portfolio, my 7th stock realty income drips $3,412 a year, though that thumbnail is no longer accurate. My realty income now yields $3,682 a year, aka $307 a month, due to dividend hikes I've received since I've done that video. And another reason the thumbnail is no longer accurate is because I turned off all my drips about a year ago when I started using dividends as the primary source of income for my family. Anyways, hopefully you understand my core message, which is to learn the nuances of what you want to invest in before you invest in it because sometimes people don't do that and then they get burned and they quit investing. Another reason I've seen dividend investors fail is when they don't spend adequate time researching how taxes work and then have to deal with otherwise avoidable tax-related issues. For example, they don't understand the pros and cons of a taxable brokerage account versus a retirement account. They don't realize that their dividends are often considered taxable income in a taxable account, even if they are dripped. They don't understand the relationship between wage income and dividends in taxable accounts, and thus they aren't prepared for what happens come tax time. 
The reality is in the USA it's possible to make over 100k a year in long-term qualified dividends as a married couple and owe $0 in federal taxes under specific circumstances. Another mistake is not understanding how various types of dividends get taxed. Sticking with the REIT example for a moment, the payments you get from REITs have various tax nuances associated with them. For example, money made from collecting rent or mortgage payments is often treated as ordinary income. Money made from the property REITs sell for more than they paid is capital gains. And then some REITs can distribute some of your money back to you, aka return on capital. Payments from REITs are referred to as dividends, but they're a bit more complicated than dividends you receive from non-REIT stocks. If you hold your REIT in a retirement account, like an IRA or 401k, then the different tax treatments I just mentioned don't really matter, because investment returns are not taxed when earned. That's why I hold my favorite REIT realty income in my traditional IRA. I know that when I take my money out of retirement accounts, it doesn't matter whether it was a dividend, capital gain, or a return of capital because all of my distributions are generally considered ordinary income. Roths have their own realities to factor in and have some nicer benefits than traditional IRAs. Another dividend tax issue to be aware of is if you own a master limited partnership in an IRA because you may end up having to pay tax on something called Unrelated Business Taxable Income, or UBTI, even though you hold that MLP stock in a retirement account. Imagine someone's surprise if they got hit with a tax bill due to an oversight they made of holding a particular type of dividend stock, aka an MLP, in their Roth. And then to add insult to injury, having a lot of UBTI in a retirement account apparently increases your risk of an IRS audit. So fails happen when people don't educate themselves on tax-related issues. And a big disclaimer, I'm not a tax expert, so don't take any of what I said as accurate. Go Bing the information. <laughs> That's funny. Google Docs tells me that I probably made a grammatical mistake if I said go Bing the information, but if I write go Google the information, it has no problem. And they say Google isn't a monopoly. Taxes can get tricky and I personally just understand the basics, but always talk to a professional if you need help as you don't want to be stuck with a tax bill or tax consequence that you didn't anticipate. I had a friend once who ended up needing to sell shares to cover his taxes because he didn't plan appropriately, and selling shares as a dividend investor often isn't what you want to do. Another common way I see dividend investors fail is when they invest too much in high-yield stocks in hopes to get rich quicker. They don't spend the time to understand all the nuances of the business they're investing in and instead just see a higher dividend yield and so they jump in and buy some shares. Oftentimes with higher yield comes higher risk, and that risk can mean bigger losses and lower overall returns. Like everything in investing, there are no absolutes, so sometimes people don't get burned with high yield and sometimes low yield investments burn people. Investors need to understand the difference between various types of dividend companies out there and why their yield is what it is. Like is it a master limited partnership, or is it a business development company, or maybe a covered call options ETF, or has the stock price just tanked causing the yield to run up or what? Along the lines of understanding yield, investors also need to understand other financial metrics and trends, like do they understand how dividend growth has trended in the company, or their revenues, or their debt, or etc. Do they have confidence that a company's growth will continue? When you don't understand the basics about a potential investment, then you're asking for failure. One comment I've received a few times is that some people feel that low-yield, high-growth companies like Apple or Microsoft aren't worth investing in because their dividends are so low. The irony is that I've found that some of my best returns have come from low-yield, high-growth companies, so if you're young and trying to build your wealth, then it's probably a mistake to only focus on how much dividends you can get. Larger total returns give you more financial flexibility and power. For example, sometimes things go drastically wrong in your life and you may need to sell some stocks, and those will be the times that you'll be grateful that you didn't ignore total returns as part of your investing decision making. I personally think it's prudent for people who are in the wealth accumulation stage of their life to also invest in non-dividend companies like Google and Amazon and such. Though if you're in retirement and living on your dividend income, then I can understand why you're shying away from non-dividend companies. 
One strategy that can work out is to start your investing by focusing on good growth, and then as you get older you transition into more dividend stocks. That approach often gives you more flexibility than the opposite approach of focusing on cash flow for decades and not total return potential. Of course, you can win or lose by focusing just on total returns or just on cash flow or on both, but don't discount the power, security, and flexibility from factoring total returns as part of your process. Remember, there are a ton of ways to hit your goals in the markets. Another failure I often see is when someone invests in a knee-jerk way based on a hot stock tip. I think it's fine to hear other people's input, but never invest until you thoroughly research the company. I was talking to a dividend investor a few days ago who told me how she was at the gym recently and another member of her gym was chatting with her about the fact that he was the CEO of a public company and they had an amazing product that was really taking off. First that cracks me up that the guy's flexing being a CEO instead of flexing in the mirror. Second, this dividend investor went home and invested a few thousand bucks into the company without researching it. She didn't look if the company had any patents, she didn't see if they had any competitors, she didn't review their financial trends, she just liked the product and thought the guy sounded smart and so she invested. I actually liked the product idea when she told me about it, but I strongly urge you to not invest just based on a tip or based on what your gut tells you sounds promising. I've seen too many people get burned that way, some even to the point where they gave up investing after suffering a large loss. Blindly putting your money into a company because of a YouTube video is also not a good idea, unless you're spending the time required to fully understand it. Speaking of YouTube, it's easy to find channels that have quite different dividend portfolios today than they did when they started doing videos. You can find channels that used to focus on dividend investing, but then quit and went on to other investing approaches or even stopped investing altogether. You can find channels with videos sharing their hot penny stock ideas alongside their videos about dividend investing. That doesn't mean those channels aren't entertaining, nor does it mean you can't learn things from them. But it should serve as a reminder to not blindly copy what someone else does, whether you think they're a novice or an expert or whatever. A whole bunch of people invested in Bernie Madoff because his returns seemed too good to be true. They all got burned. That reminds me of another type of investor who fails, and that's someone who's constantly chasing trends, constantly jumping in and out of stocks at the wrong time. Think of EVs or SPACs or whatever. Yes, you can make money, but to me it seems that the majority of people lose. Those people are often skating to where the puck was as opposed to where it's going. Sometimes you can be a Johnny-come-lately to a stock and it'll keep running, but sometimes coming late to the game translates into buying high and selling low. But honestly, you can avoid all that rigmarole and just go into quality stocks and not worry about the trends du jour. Another reason why investors fail is if they think they can time the market. This one is so common and I've met countless people online who are supremely confident that they can get in and out of the market at just the right time. They'll weave stories about how they timed the dot-com crash and the 08 crash and blah blah blah. While it's possible they did, in my experience you can't consistently do it and the people who try have done worse than those that simply rode the volatility. So in the short run, some of the people who are out of the market when there's a big crash will regurgitate their I told you so's, but I've yet to meet anyone who's made material amounts of wealth by consistently and successfully timing the market. But have met many who have tried and ultimately failed relative to simply buying and holding. No one in history has consistently timed the market, and frankly you don't need to in order to do well. At least historically speaking. What I see all too often is someone sells everything with a plan to wait until there's a crash and then go all in. They sit on the sidelines with their cash, waiting as the market often trends up. Then they either get frustrated as they miss out on the extended run and ultimately get back in, sometimes right before a big crash happens. I've seen people call the top right, but then they call the bottom wrong. So there they are, patting themselves on the back for taking the money out before a crash. But then they aren't sure if the bottom of the market is really there, so as things rally again they sit on the sidelines. And then after a few weeks or months of missing the rally, they stay on the sideline because they've missed so much of the run up, blah blah blah. There's a ton of permutations of that story, but very few involve successfully selling at tops and buying at bottoms. 
Now, that being said, I do urge you to calculate intrinsic values for your stocks so you understand when you're buying it inexpensively or not, as I don't consider that as timing the market, but instead I consider it buying when it's on sale. Okay, another reason investors fail is when they panic. They see Apple stock going down for a short period of time and doubt starts creeping into their minds. Maybe Apple is a bad investment. Maybe China will destroy the iPhone market. Maybe this one week quarter is the canary in the coal mine. Maybe those seeking alpha bears are right. Sell, sell, sell. Of course there are good reasons to sell, and I did an entire video on why I'd sell a stock, but one of those reasons isn't because you're freaking out. Plus, if you buy and sell stocks frequently, then you're more likely to incur short-term capital gains, which are taxed worse than the buy and holders who lock in more favorable long-term capital gains rates. The people who say they're a dividend investor, but then are constantly trading into and out of positions seem to have short attention spans to me. They've got that squirrel syndrome and they're distracted from being a buy and hold investor. Today it's this shiny new stock, tomorrow it's that stock, but next day it's bonds, and then it's back to the original stock they sold out of. Anyways, it's hard to find successful investors who invest based on emotion. I think one of the most underrated aspects of being a good investor is understanding and controlling your behaviors, motivations, and ultimately psychology. With investing, you often succeed by doing the opposite of your impulses. When a stock is shooting up, do you want to invest more in it? When a stock has been falling, do you want to invest less in it? If you've researched things properly and identified a good price, then you should be buying more when it's going down, not just chasing things that are going up. Fear is an unfortunate force. People overreact, get irrational, and sell. Some people are so worried about short-term loss that they don't invest in the first place. I get it. I remember feeling that way when I first started investing. I was like, maybe I should just put my money into CDs or something so it won't go down. The ironic part is that the way you take the most risk with your finances is to take no risks. If you can tame your fears and you invest in a basket of diverse quality companies, or even simpler go with something like VU, then I think you will do well in the long run. Tied to investing based on fear is investing based on greed. Fear and greed are what often drives the stock market, and probably the world. You know the market is about to crash when the majority of people feel like rock star investors. And then when the market has crashed and seems like it will go down forever, people are saying the world is coming to an end and the stock market is for chumps, well, at that very moment is often the best time to invest. But trust me, it's harder to do that when it's actually happening than you might think, even if that's your plan going into it. I myself fell prey to greed during the dot-com bubble run-up. I knew valuations were silly high, but hey, everything just kept going up. I saw bigger gains with anything that had dot-com in its name, so I focused on those new tech stocks more than my boring quality stocks. It was a big fail for me. Some people feel that today's markets have run up too much, kind of like the dot-com days. While I feel there is some merit to that, I'm now only in quality stocks and have a multi-generational mindset, so I'm not worried about how a crash will impact me in the short run. I believe that my companies like Apple and Microsoft and McDonald's and all my favorites will keep being businesses that people use and crave, thus they will keep moving forward regardless of what their stock prices do in the short term. So investing based on emotion is why some investors fail. Making buy or sell decisions based on emotion speaks to lack of self-control, which leads to failure. A way to counter investing based on emotion is just to have a philosophy of constantly dollar cost averaging into your positions. Speaking of positions, another reason I've seen people fail was due to not diversifying their holdings. Now I'm sure some witty person will leave me a comment about how Buffett and Cuban think diversification is for ignorant idiots. Maybe so, but I've known multiple people lose almost all their net worth because they didn't diversify their portfolio enough. I worked with a lady who previously worked at Enron and ended up losing everything. Her and her husband had to start over in their 50s. Now they completely stay out of the stock market because that Enron loss was understandably too much to stomach. 
I knew another older gentleman who had all his money wrapped in the stock of the company he had worked at his entire life. And then unfortunately some info came out that his company's execs broke the law, and his one stock fell like a rock and he lost basically everything. That was harsh because I remember celebrating his 60th birthday before he lost it all, and he was counting down the days until he could retire. Now he's saying he'll need a job well into his 70s. My conclusion is that the cost and risk to not diversify is far worse than the upside you might get from having a few big winners. I.e. diversification may hurt some of your long-term investment performance, but the reduced volatility and stress and ability to minimize the risk of complete loss all seems worth it to me. And of course, billionaires like Buffett and Cuban have lots of diversity across stocks, real estate, commodities, NBA teams, crypto, US treasuries, bonds, startups, etc. So I think you need to take their comments in appropriate context. Part of the reason why people invest in inexpensive broad market ETFs rather than individual stocks is so they can get a diversified portfolio. Whatever you do, make sure you buy businesses that you're knowledgeable about and that are on sale. Another way investors can fail is when they take on debt to invest. I personally recommend to first pay off your high interest rate loans and have an emergency fund and then only invest money you can afford to lose. I was talking to a guy recently who wanted to grow his dividend snowball faster, so he decided to take a margin loan from his broker. I think that's a terrible idea. Don't borrow money to invest more into stocks. The potential downside is much worse than the potential upside, and there are no guaranteed returns, ever, other than hitting the thumbs up button, which is guaranteed to bring you good luck. Look, the simple way to become wealthy is to live frugally and then consistently invest for long periods of time in quality companies you understand. Don't make silly mistakes like cashing out your 401k when you switch jobs or not starting one in the first place, and in time you'll be blown away by where your investments end up. Okay, I hope you appreciated hearing all those reasons why dividend investors and non-dividend investors fail. Leave me a comment if you can think of any other good ones. Now I'd like to shout out my latest YouTuber subscribers who have signed up to support me on Patreon.com and are supporting me at the Aristocrat tier. So thank you Emrao1, thank you Sanderman, thank you DTW, and thank you Chauncey J, who used to be an Aristocrat and suspended his membership for a while, but now is back again because he said he was addicted to my spreadsheet portfolio tracker tool. As Patreon aristocrats, they gain access to my dividend portfolio tracker spreadsheet tool, and they gain access to multiple private channels on my Discord, including one where I let people watch my videos before I release them to the public, as well as I often let you vote on which thumbnails I use for my new videos. If you made it to this point in the video, I ask you to please slam that thumbs up button, subscribe if you haven't yet, and click that bell notification. And don't forget to join my free dividend Discord, a place where thousands of dividend investors hang out and chat. Thanks for watching and hitting that thumbs up button. Stay positive, and I'll talk to you again real soon. I am not a financial advisor, and these videos are for entertainment, inspiration, and educational purposes only. Investing of any kind involves risk. I am only sharing my opinion with no guarantee of gains or losses on investments.